Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. We are continuing our series of sermons today on Paul's letter to the Philippians. And the text for the sermon is taken from chapter 3 and verse 2. And there the apostle writes, Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. May the Lord bless the preaching of his holy word to our hearts. Dear friends, as most of you know, warnings are very important. If we don't pay heed to warnings, we may harm ourselves or others. For example, if you are driving down the highway in the middle of the night and there's construction ahead, you will see warning signs, sometimes miles before the construction is taking place. And those warning signs tell you you need to slow down. And there are workers present. And if you ignore those signs, you could very well injure somebody or perhaps get yourself a ticket. Now some warnings are just plain silly. A number of years ago, Forbes magazine published a list of the 20th silliest labels that they had discovered on various products over the previous four years. One of these labels warned against putting people in the washing machine. Another advised that a wheelbarrow was not for highway use. Still another warned against using a hairdryer while sleeping. There was even one that advised against holding a chainsaw at the wrong end. My personal favorite is a warning on a Dremel tool that said, This product is not intended for use as a dental drill. Serious personal injury may result. Well, there's one warning that we all need to take very seriously. And it is a warning against false teachers. The Apostle Paul provides us with such a warning in our text in Philippians 3 and verse 2. And with the help of the Lord, we're going to consider these words under our theme, Beware of False Teachers. We'll consider two points. First of all, the danger this warning implies. And secondly, the discernment this warning requires. As I already mentioned, Paul in our text warns the Philippians about false teachers. Now before he does that, Paul provides a rationale. He says, For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. So Paul here is admitting that he had often warned against false teachers, both in his letters and probably also in his preaching. Now he says, I make no apology for that. To do so, he says, is not tedious, meaning it's no trouble for me. I do this without hesitation. Now why was this not tedious for Paul? Well, he tells us, because for the Philippians, it is safe. We could also translate, it is in your best interest. You see, the Apostle Paul understood that false teaching was a serious matter. And there was a lot of false teaching going on at this particular moment. He understood that false teaching can lead one astray, and he saw it with his own eyes. It can even lead one to eternal damnation. And Paul understood that, and that's why he never tired of warning about it. 
The more people he could convince of the seriousness of false teaching, the safer they would be. Well, what particular false teaching did the Apostle Paul have in mind here? Well, some commentators say that Paul was referring to the Jews. Now, to be sure, the Jews did much damage to the cause of the gospel. They did everything in their power to stop its spread. But it's more likely that Paul here is referring to the Judaizers. Now, who were these people? The Judaizers were Christians, mainly from a Jewish background, who clung to various degrees to Jewish customs and religious practices. And that's not surprising. For remember that the church at this juncture was still very young. And as such, it took a while, especially for Jewish Christians, to shake off the yoke of Jewish legalism and to discover the full liberty that was theirs in Christ. Now among the Judaizers, there were three main groups. The most moderate were those who merely clung to certain Jewish customs, such as certain dietary restrictions and cultural practices. And they did this not because they believed that they had any saving value, but just because that was part of their culture. And even the Apostle Paul clung to some of these. I say even because of all the apostles, Paul was the most keen to distance himself and the church from its Jewish roots. But sometimes he he observed these customs, if only not to cause offense to those who simply could not let go, and also not to impede the cause of the gospel. The second group of Judaizers were those who not only clung to certain Jewish customs, but they also avoided contact with the Gentiles, even if they were Christians. They did that because they believed that contact with the Gentiles would make them unclean. And so, for example, in Acts chapter 11, verse 3, we read that when Peter arrived in Jerusalem, he was accused by some of the members of the church of eating with Gentiles, specifically Cornelius and his household. Now, Peter had indeed done this. But as he went on to explain, he did so only after receiving a vision from God instructing him that nothing, even the Gentiles, was unclean. Now later, however, as Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 2, when Peter was in Antioch and certain men came from James in Jerusalem, he refrained from eating with the Gentiles, fearing what these men from James would, th- would say and think. And when Paul saw that, he rebuked Peter in front of them all. And he reminded him that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. The third and most extreme group of Judaizers were those who taught that keeping the law of Moses, especially the practice of circumcision, was essential for salvation. Now the Apostle Paul had very little time for such people, and they had little time for him. In fact, it was precisely to counter this teaching that Paul wrote his letter to the Galatians, which I quoted from earlier. Apparently, many of the Galatians were susceptible to the teaching of the Judaizers, probably because they were new to the faith and simply didn't know any different. Probably, too, because the Judaizers seemed to have the Bible on their side and they were very convincing. 
Whatever the case, many of the Galatians were led astray, and Paul knew this, and he was astounded by it. And so right after the very beginning of his letter, in verse 6, Paul asked the Galatians, who had turned them away from him who had called them in the grace of Christ, calling the message that they were hearing another gospel, and even a perverted gospel. Following that, he declared to them that if he or even an angel from heaven preached any other gospel than what the apostles had preached, that person should be accursed. And he repeats it for the sake of emphasis. Now, why did Paul speak so strongly about this? Well, because he rightly perceived that to insist that the Gentiles needed to be circumcised, as the Judaizers taught, was to detract from the sufficiency of the atoning work of Jesus Christ. It was to teach, however inadvertently, that Christ's atoning work on the cross was not enough. That in order to be saved, one not only had to believe in Jesus, he also had to be circumcised. And so we're no longer justified by faith alone, but by faith plus something else, in this case, circumcision. And now these same people were exercising influence over the Philippians. And Paul knew this, and so he writes in our text, Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. Notice how three times in rapid succession, Paul uses the word beware. Beware, beware, beware. Paul's very insistent. He's very emphatic. He wants the Philippians to sit up and take notice and to pay careful attention to what he's saying. But you notice, too, that he doesn't mince any words. He calls these teachers dogs. Now, significantly, the word dogs was a term that the Jews normally reserved for the Gentiles. They called the Gentiles dogs. But here, the Apostle Paul applies that same term to the Judaizers, most of whom were Jews. And it's as though he was saying, it's the Judaizers, not the Gentiles, who are the real dogs here. Now, when Paul refers to the Judaizers as dogs, he has a certain kind of dog in mind. In the ancient world, there were two kinds of dogs. There were domesticated dogs that were often used as household pets, just like we do today. But then there were also undomesticated dogs. These dogs were usually wild and savage and ugly. They lived in the streets and in the garbage dumps, prowling around looking for tiny scraps of food. Well, these are the kinds of dogs that Paul has in mind here in our text. The Judaizers, he said, are like wild and savage street dogs. And in calling them dogs, Paul was expressing his great contempt. In Bible times, if you wanted to really insult someone, you would call them a dog, which is probably why the Jews called Gentiles dogs. And that's what Paul's doing here. Paul despised the Judaizers so much that he called them the most derogatory name he could think of. He called them dogs. That's not all. He also called them evil workers. Now, the Greek word for workers that Paul uses here is the same word that he uses to describe those who have labored with him in the gospel. Now, he takes that same word and he applies it to the Judaizers. And in doing so, he acknowledges that they too were workers, but they were workers of a different kind. They were evil workers. Instead of working to help the cause of the gospel, they only worked to hinder it. And so he says they were evil. 
Thirdly, he calls them the mutilation. Now, the word that Paul uses here is actually a play on the Greek word for circumcision. Although the Judaizers claimed to be promoting circumcision, they were, in fact, promoting mutilation. That's what he's saying here. And so some versions translate this word as concision, from the Latin word considere, which means to cut off or to cut to pieces. And that's because they insisted on cutting away the foreskin of the body only, thinking that that was all that was necessary. And what they failed to realize was that what they needed to be circumcised was not just their bodies, but also and especially their hearts, which is precisely what circumcision was designed to teach them in the first place. As Paul himself says in Romans chapter 2, verse 28 and 29, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. What is more, these people did not understand that physical circumcision was not required in order to be right with God. All that we need to be right with God can be found in Christ and becomes ours by faith in Christ. In fact, as we've already observed, by insisting on circumcision, the Judaizers were actually detracting from the all-sufficiency of the work of Jesus Christ. And Paul knew this. He saw through that. He saw right through their lies and their deception. And so he rightly called them the mutilation. It was like he was saying, they don't circumcise at all. Instead, what they really do is mutilate. Now we learn here that when it comes to false teaching, we should not mince words. Neither did the Apostle Paul. Now most people today cringe at such expressions that Paul used. Some would even say that they're unkind and unloving. We need to be nice to false teachers, they say, so that we can win them over. That's not scriptural. We should indeed try to win false teachers over. But if they refuse to listen, they must be denounced in the strongest of terms. Why? Because as mentioned earlier, false teaching is very detrimental to the church. It can lead many astray and even into hell. And Paul knew this. And so he did not mince words. He called the false teachers of his day dogs evil workers, mutilators. And my friend, as difficult as that may be, we need to do the same. Make no mistake, the false teaching that Paul denounced in his day is still very much alive in the church today. Now, to be sure, we don't have in the church today people going around saying that we need to observe the law of Moses and be circumcised. Thankfully not. But there are many other false teachings There's Mormonism, there's the teaching of the Jehovah's Witnesses and the prosperity gospel. Even in otherwise Bible-believing churches, there are those who advocate for women in office and who deny the six-day creation and who want the church to recognize gay marriage and ordain openly gay clergy. There are even people who, like the Judaizers, teach that in order to be saved, faith in Christ is not enough. We must believe in Christ plus something else. 
For example, many liberal Protestants and Roman Catholics teach that in order to be saved, you must believe in Christ. Yes, absolutely, they don't deny that. But you also have to do good works, they say. Our works count for something towards our salvation. That, of course, is patently false. In Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, Paul writes, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's clear, beloved, we are saved by grace through faith apart from works. Our works do not count for anything towards our salvation, as necessary as they are, but they don't count for anything. And if we say that they do, then we're detracting from the sufficiency of the atoning work of Jesus Christ. Now over and against that, some will argue that this contradicts what James teaches in James 2 verse 24. When James says that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. But to say that James here is teaching that our works count for something towards our salvation is to completely misread and misinterpret what he's saying. What he's saying is that our works prove that we have true faith. For faith necessarily manifests itself in good works. But they don't count for anything towards our salvation. No, we are saved by grace through faith alone. The point is, there's false teaching all around us. And we need to be on guard against it. We need to pay attention to the words of our text. Beware, beware, beware. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. In other words, beware of anyone who would teach that in order to be saved, you need to believe in Christ plus something else. No, we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. Commenting on this, Charles Spurgeon wrote this. He said, Our salvation is not founded on foreseen merit, but upon grace alone. It is grace, all grace, nothing but grace, from first to last. Man, he says, stands shivering outside, a condemned criminal. And God, sitting upon the throne, sends the herald to tell him that he is willing to receive sinners and to pardon them. And the sinner replies, well, I am willing to be pardoned if I am permitted to do something in order to earn pardon. If I can stand before the king and claim that I have done something to win his favor, then I'm quite willing to come. The herald replies, no. If you are pardoned, you must understand it is entirely and wholly as an act of grace on God's part. He sees nothing good in you. He knows that there is nothing good in you. He is willing to take you just as you are, black and bad and wicked and undeserving. He is willing to give you graciously what he would not sell to you and what he knows you cannot earn of him. Will you have it? And naturally every man says, no, I will not be saved in that style. Well then, soul, remember, says Spurgeon, that thou wilt never be saved at all. For God's way is salvation by grace. And so Paul rightly regarded false teachers as a great danger, and beloved, so should we. 
But in order to recognize how dangerous false teachers are, we need the gift of discernment. And that brings us briefly to our second point. The only way that we can detect false teaching is if we have the gift of discernment. Now, what is discernment? Discernment is the ability to distinguish right from wrong or half wrong, truth from error or half error. Now, sadly, this particular gift is in short supply today, even among Christian leaders. Many Christians today, including Christian leaders, lack the gift of discernment. They tend to see good in everything. They even frown on people who denounce anything as bad or evil, especially churches, even if they're preaching false doctrine. And why is that? Why are there so few discerning Christians today? Well, one reason, if not the main reason, is because people don't know their doctrine. Most Christians today have no idea what the Bible really teaches, either because they're not being taught, or if they are, they're not internalizing it. Some reject doctrine altogether, feeling that it lies at the root of so much division today. We just need to learn to love and get along with everybody, they say. We don't need doctrine. Doctrine divides. Love unites. But my friends, that is simply not true. In 1 Timothy 3, verse 15, Paul says that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. In other words, it exists to uphold the truth, just like a pillar upholds the roof of a building or the foundation holds up the walls of the building. And so in 2 Timothy 2, verse 15, Paul says to Timothy, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. In 1 Timothy 4, 16, the same apostle says, Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. My friends, we must all be able to discern truth from error. And when we detect it, we must have the courage to expose and denounce it. And if we can't do that, then we will be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. And in the end, we will believe the lie rather than the truth. So how can we become more discerning? Well, first of all, we need to read and study the Scriptures, perhaps more than we do. The scriptures tell us what is right and what is wrong, what is truth and what is error. The more we read and study the scriptures, the more discerning we will be. Secondly, we need to read and study sound books that are based on the scriptures. Sadly, very few Christians read today. And if they do read anything at all, it's usually some kind of fluffy Christian novel. And that's a disturbing trend. There are so many good, sound books on the market today, and they're so readily accessible. Reading widely and extensively is a key to developing the gift of discernment. Thirdly, we need to pray for the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who guides his people into all truth. And if we want to grow in the area of discernment, we need to pray fervently that the Spirit of God may work in our hearts. He and he alone can make us more discerning. My friend, what about you today? Are you a discerning Christian? Some are very discerning. They know everything there is to know about the food that they eat and what it does to their body. They know what's healthy and what's not healthy. They know what foods to consume and what foods to avoid. 
Others are very discerning about their investments. They're always watching the stock market. They know what to invest in and know what not to invest in. Still others are very discerning about sports. They know all the scores. They know who the best players are and the best teams are and why. They can tell us what was a good play and what was not a good play. But can they also discern truth from error? Can you? I submit to you that this is no small matter. The future of the church, indeed your eternal destiny, hinges on whether you possess this gift. I began the sermon by saying that warnings are very important. If we don't pay heed to warnings, we may harm ourselves or others. This morning we heard one of the most serious warnings of of the Bible. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. We can sum it all up by saying, beware of false teaching. Oh, my friends, did you hear that warning today? Will you also respond to it? We need to. Why? Because the truth we defend is the truth of Christ. (coughs) He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. To defend his truth is to defend him. And what is more, he laid down his life for the truth. In John 18, verse 37, after Pilate asked Jesus if he was a king, Jesus said, you rightly say that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Christ came into the world to bear witness to the truth. Those who hear his voice are of the truth. Are you of the truth today? Amen. We always appreciate hearing from our listeners. If you were blessed by or have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road. Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N, and that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can email us at banneroftruth at frcna.org. If you would like to listen to the message you have just heard again, or if you would like more information about our program, including how to contact us and how to listen to other messages on this program, please visit our website at banneroftruthradio.org. That's all one word, bannerofTruthRadio.com. Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.org. That website again is www. Dot .frcna. org Your financial support for this program is welcome and deeply appreciated. If the Lord has placed on your heart a desire to help us to offset the costs of broadcasting this program on this station, you can send us a check in any amount. Again, our mailing address is 3386 Mount Lehman Road, L E H M A N Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. 
Or you can go to our webpage and make a donation right on our webpage. The webpage address again is banneroftruthradio.com. Please remember that the Lord would have his people come together to worship him. And for that reason, we urge you not to use this or any other radio program as a substitute for being an active, contributing member of a faithful, Bible-believing church. Thank you for listening, and now until next week, may the Lord be with you all.